Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast. Weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Welcome Facebook uh, viewers and uh, online community. Welcome to our church. Um, I just want to quickly let you know that, you know, we, I just got back from India in case you didn't know. And we were there for two weeks. Um, and usually we take a big team or take a team, but this time it was me. And, um, but, but we had different, three different states that we were working into. And you are welcome to come again next year with uh, Tim and Sally, or Sally, I think, or Tim and Sally. But Sally's going to be taking a team to India. And uh, so you're welcome to come to India and just be a blessing to a beautiful nation. And uh, we were in three different states and doing mainly teaching and equipping of pastors and leaders. And so... Um, we started in Goa. We had a, a church there that were ministering for a couple of nights into their church, and God moved, did great things, miracles, healings. Um, one lady was holding the hand of someone else that getting prayed for. Her finger was, this is what she said, her finger was fully crooked. And as she was, the other lady was getting prayed for, she was just holding the hand, it just straightened up in front of her. And we weren't even praying for her finger, and she was saying just God straightened it. But um, God's done a number of miracles like that in uh, India. But a lot of the training was equipping the people to do the miracles. So we got them praying for people. And they lay hands and told them that we've all got authority. And it's not the great pastor, great evangelist, or great visiting speaker. That we're all equipped. We're all anointed. We all have access to the Holy Spirit. So we did a lot of praying in the congregation. Um, one of the, um, you know, there are just amazing legends and pastors that uh, have dedicated their life to to reach village and tribal people, tri- what they call tribal area and tribal people that live off the land pretty much. Some areas don't have any electricity. Um, a, a lot of electricity is in the areas, but some really live off the land. So we can have great adventures if you want to come to up in the mountains and literally go into places where very tribal. You just got to be adventurous because there are cats out there, black cats, you know, the, the panthers, and, and there's bears apparently, they tell me, and and stuff. So you go during the day. They know what they're doing. Okay, you got to trust them. I said, how many people die though? You know, they get taken out. Oh, the bears. Yeah, sometimes they take people out. They were driving from down the city to up in the mountain. There was a family of elephants, and they're wild elephants. They're just in the road, and they had to stop. They had to wait. And trucks were backing up, smashing into the wall because they were afraid of these elephants. Because a little baby, there was a baby elephant. So the mother elephant is very protective. So um, that's up in the mountains. But then we go to another place called. Uh, uh, Raja Mandri and it's uh, Analaparun and um, there's a church of about 5,000 people there. They've been going for 52 years. They've got orphanages, they've got um, universities, they've got school. Um, they're doing amazing work. They've got hospitals, amazing community work. Um, and a, a young man by the name of Ernest and his wife Esther uh, uh, have been handed over the church in the last year. So they're leading the church. They're doing a massive Christmas outreach right now with 30,000 people that come in open-air meeting. And they put on a, the gospel. They preach the gospel. Um, so we, he did a lot of groundwork. It doesn't just happen. He wrote letters to thousands of pastors and invited them. They, they got 600 pastors there. So we trained. It was a whole equip for two days. And trained and trained and equipped and equipped. We have other guys there as well uh, from India. And... Um, I think the, 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 the reach was far, and that's the generosity of our people because we bless them. With, we bring money to go there. We don't take offerings when we go to India. Um, I've been going for India for 28 years, and I've received one offering, which is a friend of mine who leads a church, a Western man who leads a church from New Zealand, 
who went to New Delhi, he gave me $500 offering once. That's, that's, that's it. For 28 years, we don't go to receive offerings. We go, we bring money. We bring the poor people together, the pastors and the leaders, and equip and the train. And so this, it's just, I would encourage you because it's getting more, if I can say, uh, effective in fruitfulness. Because when you're impacting 600 pastors, imagine the thousands upon thousands that they are leading. Some people are leading churches of thousands and, um, and impacting people with, with biblical model of what church should be like. And so um, this uh, Ernest uh, wants to do this in the major cities. He's got connections everywhere. He wants to do major equips in all the cities of India like Mumbai, Bangalore, Chennai. Um, so, so pray that the Lord does what he wants to do and make sure we, take, we, open, we walk through the door that he wants us to walk through. But um, that's just, again, some of the generosity of us as a church. Isn't God good? God's amazing. Um, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want to speak on a heart for God's house. So I know we take up, once a year we usually do a heart for the house offering, which is all about receiving uh, funds or finances to further God's kingdom, right? And obviously, our intention as a church is eventually own our own building, and a paid-off building, by the way. I believe that we should own a building outright. And I, I'm, I'm getting more and more stirred by God to say, to, I want to make sure it's God, but, but buy something cash. Imagine that. Why can't we just buy something debt-free? Why do we have to go to the world and be a, 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 a borrower to the lender? And then the Bible says the, the lender is a slave to the borrower. So why don't we put our faith out and say, God, why can't we just cash, debt-free, buy a building into the future? Now, obviously, we've got to plan, we've got to save. And that's why Heart for the House is there. And this year, we purposely didn't receive a Heart for the House, mainly because we didn't have the peace to do it. And then now, God has given, given us this building. And the building that we got in Great North Road, Five Dock, it was obviously supernatural, and, and the timing of it, everything, is God. I know it's Christmas time. I know we're about to hit Christmas, and we're all trying to buy presents and all that. But you know what? God timed it. So I said, God, you're the one that gave it to us now. I'm sure you thought about it. And so, okay, I've just got to be unapologetic and just share your word. But, you know, we also are leading this, so we, we also give sacrificially. I never would ask you to do something we haven't done already and that we're not doing. So when, we, when I'm encouraging you to give sacrificially to the work of God and the house of God, it's we've done it as well and are doing it and do live it, okay? So, um, but the building is phenomenal. If, if, maybe, if, I don't know if they're ready, but it would be great to show the photos really, really quickly um, because a lot of people are putting a lot of effort into renovating this, vent, this building and um, the walls are done downstairs with the um, children's space and... That's how it looks like now. So much work has been done. <laughs> and uh, the tiles are going to be put in very, very soon. The paintings are coming in the next couple of weeks. Look at that. Look at that dedication to the house of God. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so it looks like that now, but it's not going to look like that in a few weeks' time. That's two weeks ago. Yeah, it's already cleaned up. Yeah, that's fine. And, and, uh, and then the auditorium's already been all gyprocked, ready for painting. The stage is up. Um, so a lot of work has gone into it. Patrick's done an amazing job of overseeing, co-working with, co-working with Nathan. You'll be surprised how much work is behind the scenes to orchestrate, organize, making sure the electrician goes in. The, electric, electric, the electricians did the work before the walls had to go up. Then the walls go up. It's all the timing. And obviously, Patrick, that's his industry, so he knows what he's doing. 
And, um, but we're getting amazing. Um, people are willing to do all the work pretty much for materials and, and the labor costs. They're not putting profit on it, which is phenomenal. But we still have to pay for all those bills. And we still want, we want to decorate it and all that sort of stuff and do what God's called us to do. A lot of the things that we're going to be buying will be into our future anyway. Like, didn't you like these comfortable chairs? Actually, I don't, I've never heard anyone complain about our chairs, that oh, it's too uncomfortable to sit around when you preach for two hours straight. Like, I mean, <laughs> when I preach for 30 minutes. But no one complains about the chairs. Everyone loves comfortable chairs. But they cost. You know, they cost, actually, they cost $80 each. And uh, we already ordered the uh, chairs that we need, which was another $14,000. It's just for chairs, just to get in, just to, just to make it comfortable. And everyone believes in chairs. I hope you do. Because you put your bottom on it and you, you love it. Right? Well, we can give you plastic ones and just sit on it and all that. Um, and in India, they just sit on the floor. So we can do that too. It's like, anyway. But, but it, what I'm trying to say, it costs. And I want to share a message on putting God's house first. Okay. Please hear the heart of what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I am saying. You know, um, and I'll, I'll try to say it as I'm speaking. So if you've got your Bibles to Matthew 6, verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is what Jesus said. This is the words of Jesus. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't lay up for your treasures here on earth. Because you know what? It's rusting. It's getting old. Thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Are you telling me there's going to be treasures in heaven? Yes. What Jesus said there is. Where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. What, the word treasure is what you value. Don't value the things here on earth. Value the things that are in heaven for eternity. Don't, it's not saying you, you should never own anything. Jesus didn't say that. So don't let this be your treasure. You know, it didn't, it, Jesus didn't say you should give up everything and, and, and be poor. You know, we can't read into that wrongly. Some people have. But Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't let this be your treasure. Let, let, let your treasures be in heaven. Because there are some wealthy kings in the Bible that wrote Scripture, that wrote the Bible, and we read the Scriptures, and they were multi, multi-millionaires. Actually, billionaires in our terms. And they wrote Scripture. So if you, if you have a problem with wealth, and you think, oh, you know, you know, you know that once upon a time, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, this is the reason why we fell into the dark ages, is people make vows to poverty in the name of Christian faith. Now that I'm a Christian, I want to be, I vow myself to be a poor because they think that's what humility is or that's what they think piety is. Well, godliness is we need to be poor and not love anything here in this world. Sure, you can have things and not love things. These guys that owned, like King David who was wealthy and Solomon who was wealthy and Abraham who was wealthy and Job who was wealthy... Moses, who was wealthy, they wrote scripture. So if you have a problem, you know, you know some people on, on the internet, they attack men and women of God who, uh, who are wealthy or have got anything because they've been trusting God all their life and they've been obeying God and they've been favorable by God. And now they own something and people go, oh, look at that. I mean, you have to rip out three quarters of the Bible and not believe what the Bible says about the people who wrote it. They were, they were wealthy men and women in the Bible. I don't know how you deal with that, to be honest, people that attack people, because the reality is wealth is relative. See, I could be speaking about wealth right now, and in your mind, you might think, but I'm not wealthy. But wealth is so relative. It's a relative term. 
because I've been to India for 28 years, and they, they tell me, this is true facts, there's 800 million people that live in villages. Villages meaning they usually have a little bit of a, a, a shack of a home with grass roofs, and very, very small, about eight, nine, ten people live in it. Like probably this big. Sometimes a touch bigger, little kitchen area. And they, eight, nine, ten people. And 800 million people live like that. So they say, this is the truth. If you've got running water, roof over your head, electricity, um, car, clothes in the cupboard, food in the pantry, bit of change. Just those minimal things, which pretty much everyone in this building has. You are the top 10% richest people in the world right now. So it's relative. You are wealthy considered considerably when you, when you think of 90% of the way the world's living right now. So, so don't tell me, like, oh, no, that's, that's wrong. We point the finger and say, that's wrong. But where do we draw the line when it comes to wealth being relative? That's a wrong thinking. And that's where Jesus is hitting. Where your treasure is, it's where your heart is also. Look what he hits. He's hitting the root. The lamp, the word lamp is, you turn on a lamp in a house, you, you illuminate the house, right? The lamp of the body or your life is the eye. Now, Jesus is not talking about the physical eye only. The eye sees. He gives us vision. So he's actually saying this. The illumination of your body or your life is your vision. It's your revelation. It's your understanding. It's your perspective in life. That's what illuminates you. If your perspective, your vision is, what does he say? Good, then your whole body will be full of light. If your perspective, your vision, your revelation comes from God, then your, it releases vision, revelation into you, and your whole body is full of light. You get direction from God. But if your eye, read it again, your vision, your revelation, or your perspective, your understanding is bad. The word bad means twisted perverted if it's not according to the way god wants you to think it's wrong understanding wrong perspective like i have to make a vow to poverty that's a wrong perspective god never told people to do that in the bible but if your eye or vision or revelation or perspective is wrong or perverted your whole body will be full of darkness because that's what you're letting in wrong perspective wrong understanding about how you see yourself and the way you see god if therefore the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness? If, you're wrong, if your perspective is wrong, your vision is wrong, and that's letting in, that revelation is perverted and it comes in, how great is that darkness? What you're letting into your body or your life that's directing you. No one can serve two masters. Now, the word master here, I, 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 I would have loved if it was translated because it's, everywhere else it was translated as Lord. It is the word for Lord. And the word Lord means supreme in authority. And so he's basically saying, the scripture's going to come up, <laughs> the, no one can love two lords, two supremes in authority. You can't do it. Because either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. It's in verse 24 of chapter 6. You cannot serve God and money. You can't have two lords. You gotta, if you love God... You're not going to love money. If you love money, you're not going to love God because you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be faithful to one and hate the other one. You just can't have two lords. You can't have two supremes in authority. He's trying to say perspective. If God is your supreme authority, then money's not your God. It, you don't serve money. Money serves you. 
Money is a really bad master, but a good servant. So it should serve us, okay? Now, you're talking about perspective, the way we view things. If we view things wrongly, we view things... Like, this is a very wrong mindset. Of, please understand this. I really want to establish this. This is so important. A lot of us, I, I, think like, I used to think like this. I, I don't believe I think like this anymore. But our wrong mindset is that the world's wealth is limited. So therefore, it's like a pie. You've got a pie mentality of how God supplies us because it's a limited source. If I take my piece from this pie, take my piece out, because I've taken my piece, there's less for everybody else. So if I'm blessed and blessed by God, that means there must be less for somebody else. A lot of people think that way. That's why they attack people that are blessed by God. Because how could they? We don't know how many millions they're helping. You don't know how many millions of dollars they're giving. You know, people attack Hillsong, but you know how many millions and millions of dollars they give and help the poor, but they get attacked by it. I'm telling you, they've done so much good in the world, but they get attacked. Because people think, I take my piece, now there's less for everybody else. That's a wrong mentality of the wealth of the way God takes care of us. The Bible doesn't say He takes care of us according to the limited resources of this earth. The Bible says in Philippians 4 verse 19, My God shall supply all your needs, all your needs, according to His riches in glory in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God doesn't even need to use the, the wealth of this world. He uses the riches in heavenly places to bless you. And when he does, it doesn't mean there's less here on earth. I also believe with all my heart that the resources of this earth is not limited. It's unlimited. The reason why there's poor people, it's the sinful nature, not because there's not enough in the earth. Agriculture will never run out. It's an economy. It's a, it's a, it's a resource that could just continue. God created it to work forever. The soil won't stop producing as long as there's a cycle of water. The cycle of the way the clouds evaporate, pour water, that's never going to stop. So you're never going to run out of water in this earth because of that, because God put it in the earth. And so, so agriculture, I mean, even economy, when you think of an idea of creating something, we're moving from the information or the agriculture age to information to, to first it was industrial age, and then it moves now to information age, but it's still a product. It's still producing economy. It doesn't run dry. It doesn't stop. We, we think it does. But it doesn't, not in God's eyes. So, so you, we have to see that God is, a, is an everlasting provider. He's not going to run out of resources. I just know that. Solar power, solar power has become a resource. Not 100 years ago, but now. And you're not going to run out of solar power. Because if you do, we're all dead and it doesn't all matter. Right? But solar power will always produce solar power and it's a resource it becomes uh, feeds into the economy it'll never run dry it's just so many so many things like that i think it's important that our eye is not perverted wrong we think wrong and that's why when we don't understand you can't have two masters when you love god with all your heart you're not going to serve money money wouldn't have any roots into you the bible says the love of Money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but the love of money. So if money becomes our God, then the love of money is actually got its roots in us, and then we're not going to be able to serve God. Because we will either love money, and we'll hate what God asks for us. And when, when, when the church asks for money because it needs to see the kingdom grow, you get upset. I can't believe it. Why are they doing that? How can they ask for money? Goodness, if, if you're right now upset, or if you're online listening and you're upset, you don't understand. 
your perspective is tilted a little bit, it's wrong, you don't understand what God is about and what God is doing. But let me continue, because what Jesus said, this is the words of Jesus, not mine. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink. God, Jesus said, don't worry about it. Basically saying, people that don't have God in their life, they worry about it. But you, with the Father in heaven, you shouldn't worry about it. He says, not a, he goes, do not worry about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. Have you ever done the Bible and done that? Just stop and look at a bird. And Jesus says, for they don't sow, they don't reap. They don't put anything into their barns. They've got no place to store food. They don't put into the ground and expect a return. They just fly around. And the Father has thought about them and provided food for them. It says, yet your, father, your heavenly Father feeds them. Look what Jesus says. Aren't you more valuable than the birds? So if you realize your value before the Father, you know that God's going to take care of you. Look how deep he goes. Jesus is so phenomenal. Look what he says. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, if you, if, if you worry about it, you can't add more life to your age or you can't add more height to your size. Right? I, I know. I've tried it when I was younger. I tried, 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 tried. Didn't work much. But. So why do you worry about clothing? Right? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They never toil nor, they, nor spin. So they're, they're not working. They're not laboring. Uh, the, the, the flowers of the field don't labor to be clothed. Right? And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed or clothed like one of these. What, what is Jesus saying? He's saying the flowers that God created were clothed better than Solomon in all of his glory and his splendor. Solomon was one of the wealthiest kings in the earth. And he, would have, he was so clothed with amazing splendor and glory. Yet God says, Jesus says, sorry, that God clothed the flowers better than Solomon. And it goes further. Look what it says. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? But the, the, this is the biggest key, O ye of little faith. The key is when Jesus says, O you of little faith. Let me paraphrase what Jesus is trying to say. He says, you're more valuable than the birds. Yet God takes care of the birds. I love you far more. You're more valuable to me. Obviously, I'm going to take care of you more than the birds. So rest assured, as a father, he'll take care of you. He goes, you know, you know, you know the Solomon in all his glory and all his splendor and how much wealth he had, how clothed he was and how amazing it would have impressed everybody. Well, the flowers are clothed better than Solomon. And you're more valuable than the flowers. Therefore, God, in his intention here, he's trying to say, God's intention, he wants to clothe you better than Solomon. That's really what he's saying. That's God's heart for me. I don't know. If you don't want to take that, I'll take it. But God's heart for me wants to bless me and take care of me better than Solomon. Because he has done that with the flowers. But he goes, oh, you of little faith is the key. Why is that the key? Because I've been around the world in some places. I've been to India for 28 years. And I've seen a lot of poverty. I've seen a lot of poor people on the side of the road, beggars. I've seen people uh, lie, sleep, whole families lie down in footpaths, little, little shacks. Just like God is not moved by need. He's moved by faith. If God was moved by need, he'd be doing miracles in all those countries. Automatically. He says, I need, bang. So, but God in his sovereignty gave a free will. And unless that person has faith in God and trusts God, God, even though he loves them and has compassion for them and wants to help them, he cannot help them because he's chosen to, to, to um, 
honor their free will. He, they have to have faith in him. That's why Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. But be, know, if you know that you're more valuable than the birds, you know that you're more valuable than flowers, you know that God loves you, he's going to take care of you. And it's that faith that connects God, that he takes care of faith, not need. God is not moved by need. Just have to travel the world and see, because then he'd be moving only in those poor countries. So, what, so I hope you're hearing my heart, because it's so important to understand this. That's why he goes on to say, Therefore, do not worry about, do not worry saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Remember, they don't have a father. The Gentiles don't have a relationship with God as their father. And they seek that. Yes, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. It's the revelation of being a, having a father. And so he says, but, this is the key, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that the Gentiles seek and go after and worry about clothing, wearing, what we do, shelter and all this clothes, all the natural, all those things will be added to you. I've seen that with our life, Christian, in my life. I've seen it in my life since I've become a Christian. That if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he has a way to take care of us. In Mark chapter 12, I think it is. Let's have a quick look at that. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Yeah, Mark 4, 21, 41, sorry. What does he say? This is Jesus. Let's read this, verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. He saw how. And many who were rich put in much. So imagine that was the treasury. They used to have the treasury someplace in the synagogue. And if that was the treasury, Jesus took a stool, sat down, and watched people give. That's pretty freaky, don't you reckon? Imagine if I did that. How would you like that? If I just, right, tonight we're going to give an offering in the bucket, and I'm going to watch the way you give. I mean, that's just what Jesus did. I'm just, I wouldn't do it, but Jesus did that. And he's watching, he's watching the Pharisees, the really wealthy people, gave in much, big amounts, and probably giving... To impress people and all these things. They were giving great amounts. Then a little widow woman. Widow means no husband, no provider. No one can take care of her needs. She comes with two small coins, two little pennies, two mites, two pennies. Jesus said that's all she had to live on. But she gave in the treasury. And then Jesus says, disciples, come over here. So he calls the disciples, the Bible says in verse 43. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you as a truth, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. She had nothing left over after that. She wasn't going to eat her next meal unless God provided for her. She gave everything she had. And, God, and Jesus says she's given more than all of those wealthy people that gave. So it's not the amount you give. It's the sacrifice in how you give it. It's what it means to you. To that lady, it meant everything. I mean, she gave her all. And so God saw that as an offering and received it far more than the great amounts. So it's so important that we understand that it's not the amount. You, sometimes you think, oh, uh, I know we, we want to take up an offering to you know, really get this building going and buy equipment and fix it up and all that sort of stuff. It's not the amount. You might think, oh, I don't have much money to give. Well, you can give more than anyone else by the sacrifice it means to you. If it stretches your faith. If you're saying, God, I, I'm putting first your kingdom. 
in in Solomon, uh, sorry, in First Chronicles, please. First Chronicles chapter twenty-two. This is King David giving towards the temple. If you know the story of King David, he had it in his heart to build God a house. He wanted to build it. He's so excited. He he came up with the idea. He I want to build you a house, God. You know. I want a place where you can dwell and all these things. And then the Lord spoke to him and says, David, it's not for you to build because you've got blood on your hands. Your son's going to build it. I mean, even then he could have got frustrated and upset, but I want to do it, you know. But he, he, he understood, okay, God, you said I can't do it. My son's going to do it. He still gives a massive offering towards the temple. He prepares it. He prepares from his own treasury. He gives. This is phenomenal because I, I believe David, the way he gave, he pretty much gave all that he had in his treasury. Look what he says in verse... Um, Five. I just want to show you something first. Verse 5. Chapter 22, sorry. Of verse 22, verse 5. It says, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must, must be exceedingly magnificent. It must be famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death, meaning he gave of himself. But I love the fact that he says that it must be magnificent. It must be famous. He's talking about the temple. And it must be glorious or splendorous in all the nations. He wanted the nations to go, wow, look what God has done in Jerusalem and in Israel. And God's people, wow, look what they built. David wanted to do that. Now, it's easy to say, well, that's David's heart. That really wasn't God's heart. But let's look at something where it does say it was God's heart. First Chronicles 28, verse 19. 28 verse 19 says this. This is after he counts, after he says what he's going to do. He's going to put gold overlaying the walls, gold overlaying the altars, gold overlaying the lampstands, gold overlaying everything pretty much. Everything was going to be overlaid with gold, right? And so all this, because you read it before, he talks about verse 17, also pure gold for the forks, basin, pitchers of pure gold, the golden bowls. He gave gold by weight for every bowl and for the silver bowls, silver by weight every bowl and refined gold for weight for the altar of incense and for the constructions of the charlotte, this, that, this, the gold cherubim, spreads of their wings, all overlaid with gold. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. So basically saying, God gave me the plan, how to build a temple. And it was all overlaid with gold. And you know what? It, was not, it wasn't structural. It wasn't functional. It was aesthetics. All that gold and that silver was for beauty. They didn't need it for the function of the temple. But God wanted it because he gave it to David as a plan. Do you know how much David gave? I just want to, you know, you calculate, it says he, because the Bible says it explains 3,000 weight of talent of gold. Something like 5,000 weight of talent of silver. But you calculate that it was about $836 million in our day today. Just David. And inspired the leaders to give also, and they gave more than what he gave. So we're talking like just David with the silver and the gold, not counting all the iron and all the other materials. It was like, Two billion. They estimate the cost of the Solomon's temple was three to six billion dollars in our day and age. I mean, I mean, that sounds oh wow. But imagine if a church did that now. I think they'll cop it. But God instituted it with His people. Why do they cop it? Wrong mindset, wrong understanding. The eye of the body is our lamp. The revelation, the way we view things, is wrong. 
we, we just don't understand. We think we do. But the poor, the poor, yeah, we should be taking care of the poor. We should, put, we should be giving to the poor. But it doesn't mean God can't bless you. And, and, and I mean, here, it's just a, it's an example. The issue, I just want to read you something in verse, 1 Chronicles 28. I'll, I'll just um, review what the scripture, you can look up 1 Chronicles chapter 28. When David is encouraging them to give, he says, give with a resolute heart. In verse 9, it says, serve him with a whole heart and willing mind. Be strong and courageous and act and do not fear. Every willing man and every willing woman should come and give. In verse 3, it's my delight to give. In verse 5, who is willing? In other words, he's asking, who is willing to give? People, no one has to give unless you're willing to. Even in our church right now, we're going to receive a, a, a heart for the house offering for the building. No one has to give unless you want to give. God doesn't want your offering if you give it grudgingly. Don't ever give it grudgingly or necessity or I have to because Leo's asking me to. You have to go before God and say, God, do you want me to give to this? And how much do you want me to give? Remember I was saying, it's not the amount you give. It's what God is speaking to you, what God is asking you to give. And I love he says, in the integrity of my heart, I brought this. In the intentions of the heart. And he also says, in the perfect heart. In other words, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when you want to give. Because our heart's for God. Our heart puts Him first. I want to give because I want to see your kingdom come. You know, it's not just a physical building. It actually goes towards the next generation. It's also a reflection of our hearts to say, how do we want to do church? We can slap everything together if we want to. Do everything so, I don't know, duct everything together and cheaply. You can walk in and it reflects who we are. It reflects our God. It reflects us. It does. For me, it does. We can do, I mean, we haven't done that. I mean, amazing the way Patrick has overseed it and Nathan. It, it, they haven't cut corners. They've done things to excellence. They've done it for purpose. They've done it for it to function. They've done it so we can preach the gospel. You know, we all love comfortable chairs. We also like air conditioning. No? Imagine asking the church in the West, come to church when it's 40 degrees, boiling hot. And, you know, like we live the way we do, and there's certain things that we just expense that we have to have. Don't have no, no lights, just do it in the dark. Bring your own torch lights, mobiles. <laughs> let's give all that money to, you know, again, let's give that to the poor because we're going to do this this way. We're not going to build any church anywhere like that. You know what I'm saying? Please hear my heart. We want to reflect God. We want to show the world, look what our God can do. And, and we, you know, because we, we, the world, do, when the world does something, they do it with such high standards. They do it so amazing with excellence. You just go and say, wow, you get wowed. And you come to the church, you have everything backward, everything the worst and everything the, the least. It shouldn't be like that. It really shouldn't. Oh, sorry, let's have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter. Chapter 9, yeah, chapter 9, verse 7. Chapter 9, verse 7. You know how we view, do you know how we view when we give? Most of us view, and I'm learning this better more and more after 31 years of learning to give. First of all, the number one reason why God wants us to give. Do you know, they don't want to know the reason. I know most preachers, most pastors have preached in the past, you give and, and, and you to t- almost teach people, you give to get. That's not what God's desire is. God doesn't want us to give so we can get. 
That's selfishness. God actually teaches us to give to get rid of selfishness. But the number one reason why we should give, I believe, is because God is a giver. By nature, He's a giver. He just That's His nature. You want to know God is just a giver. He really is. I know Him as a giver, right? He's a giver in every sense of the word. And so He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to catch the heart to give for the sake of giving. So number one reason is because He's a giver. I want to reflect His heart. And also give because I love someone. I actually give out of compassion, give out of love. I want to help people. That's the motive behind it. We give for those reasons. We give because of God. And then we, get, we give to get rid of selfishness. I mean, in the Old Testament, Jesus, God, God says, give to the poor. When the poor's there, don't, let them eat from the agriculture. Let them eat. So there's, there's something that we get rid of. We get rid of our selfishness, our greed. Our, take care of me and nobody else. That's why we need to learn to give. To get rid of selfishness in ourselves. It actually breaks selfishness, self-centeredness, and greed in our own hearts. When we also give, we're releasing faith in God. Because I believe most of us have this wrong mindset. This is the one I want to break. Is when we give, I have less. A lot of people think that. Think about it, why? When I plant a seed, when I give, it leaves my hand, but it never leaves my life. Like, a, like the trees, you know, when God created the trees and he produced, this is the way God made agriculture to work. Put a tree and it's got fruit in it. It's got seeds in it. Take the seeds. So that, in a sense, this tree has given a seed. Does it have less? Not really, because it's going to be planted and it's going to produce another tree with many fruits with more seeds. So the principle of a tree giving a seed is multiplication. And that's why Jesus says, uh, in, sorry, Paul the apostle says in 2 Corinthians, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap also bountifully. So we've got to change our thinking. If I give, I have less. If I give, I have lack. Not when you're giving to God and for God. We've done this for all our life and we cannot outgive God. God, you know, this scripture we're about to read, it, it comes after. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. If anyone wants to reap sparingly, anyone? No, we all want to reap. We don't want to reap sparingly. But if you want to reap sparingly, the key is sow sparingly. Just keep it up and you'll, you'll keep sowing sparingly. You'll reap sparingly. But if you, want to sow, if you want to reap bountifully, the Bible says sow bountifully. Look what it says. So let each one give as he purposes in his own heart, not grudgingly, nor of necessity. And I mean that with my heart. Don't ever give grudgingly. Don't ever give of necessity. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Loves it. Something about... God loves when we cheerfully want his kingdom to go forward. We want the kingdom, want the gospel to be preached. God loves that. And look at this. And God is able to make. Or when, so when we give, God is able. The word able is capable. Think about it that way. God is capable. The, the one who created the universe, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the God is able to make all grace abound towards me. Because when I give, in my future, I think, well, now I've got less. He's going to go to take care of me. This is a church in Corinthians that was taking care of a church in Arcadia, Acacia or somewhere, that was poor. So they're giving up, they're receiving an offering from a wealthier church to take care of poor people. And so the wealthy people think, well, if I'm giving, now I've got less. And Paul's trying to say, you don't have less in your future because God is able. God is capable to make all grace abound towards you so that you... Always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance of every good work. That word, uh, the word abound is superabound and with excess. The actual Greek word means 
God superabounds with excess, pours it back to you. So God's a God of excess. God's a, a God of more than enough. When he created everything, even a cell, yes, it doubles, it multiplies, it produces and becomes a body. You were one cell that multiplied to two, to four, to eight, and just kept multiplying and became a human being. And then he makes Adam and Eve, okay, now you multiply, but you've got to let go of a seed to multiply. Hallelujah. Right? A, a seed into a woman's womb. You have to let it go, but you don't have less, thank God, men. You just have more. No, that's really the principle. You might think it's funny, but it actually is the principle that God created in the earth. From trees to seeds to the way we, everything about us, He's a giving God. He really is. God is able. If God's not able, when that lady came out, the widow with two mites, and gave to the offering, Jesus should have said, stop. I can't take your two mites. But Jesus knew God, the creator of the universe, can take care of this widow. And he receives it. To me, that's pretty phenomenal to think. Jerusalem Times could have said, Prophet from Nazareth receives two mites of the last of widow from the widow, you know, the widow. I mean, you know, the, the Times, the Jerusalem, the, I don't know, the Galilee News could have said something like that. They, they will today. They do today. They don't understand. But when you see for the kingdom and you're impacting people, People that are watching on the internet, they might be listening to this message and go, what are we talking about? We impact, we change people's lives, we help marriages. People that are on suicide get set free, come to Christ and never want to commit suicide. People that were depressed get set free depression. I mean, we're helping people with the gospel of the kingdom, the good news. Amen? So my encouragement to you, to us all, which Christine and I, we have already given, and, and, and my encouragement to us is, Ask God, what can I do? But don't have an attitude that I don't have much because the widow gave more than the other people. My encouragement is let's all do something. Let's not, if you consider this your home church, if, you don't, if you're not, this is not your home church, then obviously don't give unless God speaks to you. Now the first offering from this project of moving forward with our new building came from a lady from Brisbane who doesn't even come to our church. She's on our online, on, online community, but... She gave $5,000 because God spoke to her. And she came to our church once when she was visiting her brother. And then she went back home to Brisbane. And she said, God spoke to me. I want to give $5,000 to buy your chairs. Isn't that amazing? God will bless a lady like that. God will, I'm telling you. I've already prayed that. So God bless that lady. And that's a, to me, God is saying, I, I'm your provider. God is the provider. Amen? So, again, my encouragement is give. But give out of... Let it stretch your faith. Don't give comfortably like the rich people. Just, oh, I just give out of my abundance. I've got so much excess, I'll give this. And it might be a lot. It doesn't impress God just because it's a lot. You give where it actually means something to you. When it stretches you, it means it, it, it costs you something. It, mean, it is a sacrifice. That's when it becomes a sweet-smelling Savior to God. It means something to you. Say, God, I really care for your kingdom. I really want to put your kingdom first. Remember, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He'll clothe us better than Solomon. I've never sought to be clothed physically. I used to be a fashion designer. I, I let go of that. And now I'm telling you, I have to tell my mother-in-law and others, I get so blessed. I've got so many suits. I say, I don't need any more suits. That's just my testimony. I'll buy another suit. I don't need another suit. I've got enough. It's just the blessings of the Lord. God has blessed us because you can't outgive God. 
Amen? If you see me driving around the new car, it wasn't from any funds from the church. Right? Because my mother-in-law bought me a brand new Kia three weeks ago. My mother-in-law is a mother-in-law from heaven. Right? So I'm blessed by an amazing mother-in-law, Christine's mum. But she blessed me with a brand new car, all paid off. She just paid it off, cash, and gave it to me. You think, how do you get all that? Give lifestyle of giving. And again, I'm not saying it to give out of get. I'm saying to give knowing God is able. No fear. Get rid of the fear. Unbelief of lack. Just say, God, your kingdom first. Amen? Let's pray. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.